Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here as usual with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis, and not as usual with the one and only Jesse Sanchez. It is uh, the international signing period for 2024 has begun, opened on January 15th, Martin Luther King Day, a very big day on the baseball calendar, has seemingly just gotten bigger and bigger over the past decade or so that uh, Jesse's been uh, working with us and ranking international prospects. So we are very glad to have Jesse along here with us today. We're going to talk about um, some of the bigger signings uh, that have occurred over the first 24 hours of the period, which is when most of the big signings are announced. And then it's, it's also uh, list season, ranking season. Big week here after International Signing Day on Monday. We go straight into our top 10 by position list, our first rankings of 2024. We're going to talk about the right-handed and left-handed pitching prospects lists. Uh, and then we'll answer a question from the mailbag, which may have something to do with those lists. Jesse, welcome. Jason, it's great to be your unusual guest. I appreciate it. The most Always unusual guest. Here. Yes, for sure. So you have been ranking the top international prospects for over a decade now. We put out our first list back in what year? I think it was, was 2012. 2012, yeah. 2012. And that list, like many of our lists, has grown because that when we started, it was a top 20, expanded to top 30. I believe last year was the first year we expanded to top 50. Next year, we're expanding it to 100, right? Sure. It's, if it's on the podcast, it's true. Let's do 150. Why? Let's go 200. <laughs> Just do 250 right like we do it. for the draft. Come on. Can I hear? Can I get a 250? Let's go. So... This, uh, it just uh, first, just kind of generally tell us about the International Signing Day, International Signing Period, how it all works, what it all means, uh, and why this is important in, in the world of baseball. Okay, cool, Jason. Uh, so the International Signing Period started on January 15th, and it closes on December 15th. And to sign, you're an international prospect. You have to be age 16. And primarily, these prospects are from Latin America and the Caribbean. And it's really an opportunity for all 30 clubs to sign these prospects, get them in their system, start to develop them. Um, ultimately, I think the team's looking for the next Julio Rodriguez or the next Ron Laguna or Tatis, the next big star. But they're also looking for depth. And they also use these international prospects as trade pieces. If you look at some of the biggest trades that, ha that have happened over the last several years, they've always included an international prospect. So you can use these international player, international prospects to bring back a championship piece. You can develop them within your own organization and they can be part of your championship club. Uh, but the bottom line is all 30 clubs are heavily involved on the international market. I think that's not something we could always say, but especially over the last decade, I think the teams are really recognizing how important it, this is in terms of talent acquisition. You think of ways to uh, bolster your system, the international market, the international signing period, and, and the start of it on International Signing Day on January 15th is just huge. It's just a, it's a great thing for fans. It's a great thing for us hardcore folks. And it's a great 
thing for like the casual fan who just loves stories of humanity of a 16 year old kid chasing his dream, signing, fulfilling the dream that day, and then following his big league path. Jesse, I was going to say that the thing that one of the things I think is really interesting about the international arena is I think it's the most level playing field of any arena. That there are different levels of bonus pools that the teams have, but they're all pretty much close together. Whereas in the draft, you know, if you're picking high, you might have $10 million more in your bonus pool than the team that's picking low. But it really does seem that it's the closest to the way it was, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, where you just went out and found talent and signs it. You know, you, you do have limits and you can't just sign everybody, but it's not like one team has a $10 million international pool and another team has $2 million. They all kind of have about the same amount. So it, it's pretty equitable. No, you're exactly right, Jim. And, that, and that's something that's happened over the last a couple CBAs. Um, there was a time where you could basically spend as much as you want if you're willing to pay the penalty. And teams, the bigger market teams or the teams with the bigger payroll and the bigger resources were taking advantage of that. You would see teams spend $50 million on the international market and then pay a 25 or $50 million penalty. That doesn't exist anymore. And you're, you nailed it. It's, it's a lot more equitable now. A lot of teams are able to compete. And that's why, that's why you're going to look up and down the league from American League and National League and see how everybody's a player now because uh, people can afford to play is more, you know, more equitable there. And uh, it's just, I don't know, I just I really enjoy it. It's really cool. And it's good to see everybody get involved. I think it's interesting, Jesse, because different teams go about using their pools differently. You know, some may spread it out and sign you know, 15 guys to six-figure bonuses, and some may go all in uh, on a player. And I wanted to kind of ask about the Padres in particular, because now two years in a row that they've signed the number one guy. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about Ethan Salas, obviously, from last year, made a huge splash. They used a good chunk of their pool to sign him. And then this year they went out and, and signed, uh, you know, Leo DeVries or DeVries? DeVries. DeVries, thank you, for what, uh, $4.2 million, and he was the number one guy on your list. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the, the, the different strategies teams have, but specifically about the Padres who seem to kind of hone in on uh, the, the guy that is, tends to be, you know, at the very top of, of most uh, of, of these rankings and, and, and trying to bring that kind of impact talent into their system? You know, traditionally the Padres – have gone after the bigger guy, the bigger fish. And you're exactly right. There's a lot of different clubs who will spread the money out, who will go after 35, 40 different prospects. They won't spend uh, over a million dollars or $2 million on different, uh, an individual prospect where the Padres are really identified these top targets and they go after them. And, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I think part of that goes back to their GM. I mean, I met AJ Preller, in the Dominican and he was a scout for the Rangers. And I look at some of his staff now and the people that he knows and works with, those are people from, those are international people. So I know scouting is very important to AJ. I know the people he hands picks have deep connections to the Dominican Republic. And at the same time, you can't deny the bonuses they're paying. I mean, uh, it's a huge factor. They're paying big bonuses. Uh, to clubs, they have these strong relate. I mean, to prospects, they have strong relationships with these communities, with the academies down there, the trainers down there. So I'm not surprised. 
that they're going for the big fish every single time. And the reality is when you're the Dominican Republic or you're Venezuela, one of these countries, you know that the Padres pay and the Padres have a great academy and the Padres have a, a track record. Uh, think about Fernando Tatis as a, I know he signed with the White Sox once upon a time and he came over in a different way, but they're ambassadors. He serves as ambassadors to his club. So people do want to sign with the Padres. Uh, look, look at their rosters too. They have a really international roster. So that's also appealing for me for a young prospect. It's interesting to see how they go about it. Uh, but I, I really do think the combination of paying the big bonuses, a long track record, uh, leadership, a general manager who is really focused on international. And it's not uncommon to look up at one of these events and see the general manager of the Padres watching a bunch of 16-year-old guys work out. Uh, that, that sends a message to the communities and to these countries. Jesse, you've got detailed scouting reports on, on all these guys on our website. You know, DeVries, as you noted, comes from the same hometown as Jose Ramirez and looks up to him. And advanced hitter could have solid or better tools across the board. Could you talk a little bit about the other guys on the top of your list? Like, I don't think we've, we've ticked them off. Paulino Santana signed with the Rangers. Jose Perdomo with the Braves. Fernando Cruz with the Cubs. Adolfo Sanchez with the Reds. Could you break those right. down? Those guys down. You know, you don't have to read your whole scouting report, but kind of quickly, so fans of those teams know the types of players that they may be getting. Yeah, I'll start with Santana, and then uh, this kind of—I'll give him, give you his scouting report, and then I'll—it just speaks to uh, what scouts and teams prioritize. It's athletic middle infielder. So Santana, he fits the mold of a five-year-old, you know, a five-tool player. He, he's drawn comparison to Julio Rodriguez, going off and off the field, the way he carries himself on the field and, you know, on the, off the field. So he's a natural hitter plus power potential. You know, uh, he has a good feel for the zone. He's six foot two with, you know, quick twitch reactions. And uh, he hits for average and extra bases. So I think that's kind of consistent with what you're going to see up and down the list, especially with the – prospects in the top five, the top 10, the shortstops, they're really athletic. Uh, there's tons of potential there. There's tons of projectability. Whether they stay at the position is to be determined. I think what you're going to see happen this year and every year is they'll sign tons of center fielders and shortstops. Some end up moving to third base. The shortstops move to third base. On occasion, you'll see a guy move from a short to first, but most often you'll see a center fielder move to one of the corner positions because his bat profile is better that way. So it's just really interesting to see how many shortstops, how many center fielders. I really do get asked about that a lot. And I think it just speaks to uh, what's happening on the island, especially in Dominican Republic. They're training future shortstops. They're training center fielders. And, and what happens is if their bodies develop and their bodies change, they're so you know athletic and they have so many games and training behind them that they can make those kind of moves. One thing, Jesse, I feel like we may have even talked about this a little bit last year, but it's sort of like the, the draft class, unless it was so hitter heavy, you don't have a, there wasn't a pitcher in the top 50 until what, 25. Um, is it just harder to, is it just harder to evaluate pitchers at that age? Cause obviously we look around major league baseball and we see plenty of international guys become, you know, go on to become superstars, but 
it it seems surprising to me, or is it just a cyclical thing like it is with the draft where we're just in a cycle where there aren't that many top notch pitchers. And even looking at like the, the, the bonuses that were, that have been handed out already, there hasn't been a pitcher to get, you know, seven figures. Not that that's the only measuring stick, but what, you know, is there an explanation for, for the dearth of pitching you think? Yeah. You know, that's a great observation, Jonathan. I think that's, that's a question I've had over the years, you know, we were doing this, pipeline for over a decade now and, and you really see tons of middle infielders and center fielders on occasion you'll see a a, a right-hander that everybody's talking about or you'll see a you know a left-hander that everybody's talking about most often the the pitchers that we have been putting in our list or that are at least in conversations are human pitchers or a little bit more advanced where they have the you know the track record uh, for my conversations with scouts, they just talk about how difficult it is to project a 16-year-old pitcher. You know, it's hard to project that as a uh, a starter in the big leagues. You know, is that is this pitcher going to be more suited for the bullpen? Pitchability is still developing. You know, they're still trying to get a feel for the strike zone. They're still growing into their bodies. You don't necessarily know what this pitcher is going to look like. I mean, you don't know what a hitter is going to look like, but really with the pitchers, what they're going to develop into. So when you see a club like the Cardinals or, or the Rockies or someone who spend a lot of money on a pitcher, just know they did, they've done tons of homework on that pitcher and know that they really believe not only in the arm, but the pitchability, the makeup, the mound presence, all that, because uh, it's difficult enough to scout a teenage position player. But when it comes to teenage uh, pitching, that's one of the most challenging things in a, in a really challenging field of, of international scouting. Jesse, you, uh, you just mentioned that how hard it is for a position player uh, and then beyond that, pitchers. And this is it, – it's hard in general. And we talk about this, I feel like, every year when we have you on to, you know, scouting these kids that are so young. And I think that something you said very early on, you, you said, you mentioned three players when you mentioned like the guys that they're trying to get, they're trying to find the next, you said what Tatis, Julio, Julio Rodriguez, Julio, um, and Acuna. And Do you remember where those guys ranked on, on your, your prospect rankings? I mean, Acuna was not ranked, right? Right. Tatis was number 30 on a, on a list of a top 30. And Julio Rodriguez was number 10 in, in that year's class, which I think just speaks to just how difficult this is. Um, and then another thing that, that I wanted to circle back on is something that Jim mentioned, uh, the, the level playing field for all the teams. I was looking through, and over the past 12 years since we've been ranking prospects, all but seven of the organizations have signed one of the top five ranked prospects over that time, which Jim, Jonathan, draft gurus from a, from a draft perspective, I wanted to, wanted to try to compare that. I mean, how, how many teams do you think have drafted in the top five in the past 12 years? I mean, uh, not it, as many, I not mean, even close, the right? The Dodgers haven't, the Yankees yeah. haven't. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about when, the Red Sox picked fourth and they did, but when they picked fourth and got Marcelo Meyer, that was what, 2021, that was the highest they'd picked since 1967. So 
yeah, it, it's not, it's not nearly the same. Jesse, uh, I know you've, you've got uh, a thousand things to do and yesterday was an extremely busy day for you. Uh, we won't let you go, but, uh, first just want to say thank you very much for joining us and congratulations on an excellent job of, uh, spearheading everything, uh, yesterday with, uh, obviously a, a ton of help from a lot of people. Uh, but, uh, I've appreciated your, your work on this front over the past, uh, decade plus very much no it's my pleasure and it's as we always talk about it's a team effort everybody on pipeline everybody on dot com from production to you know the blurbs and video it's it's a team effort you know even though they they jokingly call it jesse sanchez day which i call that every day because that's my dad's day <laughs> uh, uh, it is a 100 team effort so i'm very proud and happy to be part of this team so thanks a lot guys and uh, Looking forward to catching up. The GOAT. You're the GOAT. That is uh, Jesse Sanchez talking international signing period. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the first two top 10 by position prospect list righties and lefties. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, Jesse Sanchez has left us. Uh, great to have Jesse on. He does a fantastic job with the international prospects, a very difficult job, has done so uh, for several years now, and really appreciate him taking the time to join us. Now we want to turn our attention uh, to the new 2024 top 10 by position lists, which are coming out this week, rolling them out basically in the same by the same schedule we have over the past many years, we start with right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, and uh, one per day, Tuesday, Wednesday, catchers on Thursday. Where do we go? First base, Friday, and then take a little breath over the weekend, come back next week with the rest of the infield and the outfield, and that all culminates with the top 100 prospects list, which will be airing on MLB Network on January 27th. No. Did I get the date wrong? You did. It's the 26th. January 26th. Well, that would be bad. And we're going to have a little uh, a little special addition to this year's Top 100 Prospects show. We're going to do uh we're going to do a little bonus coverage uh Prospects post game show. A uh, little added bonus will be digital only. You'll be able to catch it on mlb.com and YouTube. Uh Jim, Jonathan, Sam, Dykstra, going to dig in a little deeper. So going the extra mile for you guys. So let's let's start uh, with the top 10 right-handed pitching prospects. This is always uh, one of the deepest lists, and uh, it's a really interesting one this year. Guys got uh, some very interesting recent draft picks on this one, including at the very top of it. Uh, you guys want to – you want to – rattle off the full list here go for it now you're the you're the you're the fast talker oh you want me to do it like that okay now you better not you better not do it like that i don't know if we'll have to we'd I have mean, to slow I, you I people would have to slow you down and here we go ready listen to it in half speed <clears throat> no so that the, they'll be up to that. here we go ready paul skeens jackson Job, kate horton andrew painter jacob misraski rhett louder mick abel chase dolander don't let's go noble meyer not bad i don't think people are gonna have to stop that uh, i think i enunciate pretty well listen to it at half speed I just disappointed you didn't mention the teams, Jonathan. So that's the list. Very sad. 
Yeah, come on. I mean, I can. And ETAs. No, I no. did that in like one breath. I, I don't know I could get all that in without having to take a breath in the middle. So let's uh, first talk about the list in general. Uh, your thoughts, any takeaways from this as you put it together? Well, we, we, we've talked about how we don't have that many pitchers high on the new top 100, which is not out yet. But there's only one pitcher in the top 22 prospects. Does that sound right, Jonathan? I think that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that sounds right. But that said, I like this group of right-handers a lot. I mean, you know, Paul Skeens, you know, anybody who sees he was ranked, what, third on our current top 100 prospects list. Coming out of the draft last year, you know, arguably the best pitching prospect in draft history, but Jackson Job looked great in the fall league. Kate Horton looked great after looking great down the stretch in 2022. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, Andrew Painter looked great when the last time we saw him healthy back in 2022. Jacob Mizorowski, as Jason knows, I'm still bitter. He wasn't the Futures Game MVP. He was robbed. Um, <laughs> like, that's a, that's a, you know, I voted I mean, for him. Jason, uh, Jacob Mizorowski, you know, I, I think he and Paul Skeens have the best stuff in the in the entire minor leagues. Like, I, I think it's a pretty formidable right-handed pitchers list, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know, Dylan Lesko's come back from Tommy John surgery. You know, the gloves are going to be off in 2024. I think Dylan Lesko can soar up this chart, um, and I'm curious to see, you know, Noble Meyer, the 10th guy you mentioned, number 10 overall pick last year. He's straight out of high school. Interested in him. As well, Rhett Louder, you know, who's the sixth guy on our list, also out of last year's draft with with Skeens and Noble Meyer. He might be in the big leagues very, very fast. So I, I think even though pitching as a whole doesn't dominate the top of our upcoming top 100 prospects list, I really like this group of right-handers. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting, Jason, you sort of me mentioned the, you know, that the, the most recent draft impacts this list a lot. And, you know, outside of Skeens, you know, the draft class at the top seemed very hitting heavy. You know, we talked, to, you know, a, a lot about a lot of the, the hitters who went in the in the top five after Skeens. But here we have four guys and they were all top 10 picks who have landed in the top 10 right handed pitchers list, which is a which is a deep list. So even though last year's draft class didn't seemed a little light pitching wise the top guys are all thought of well enough to you know and obviously they'll have to go out and show that they earned this standing i think like you know skeins and ladders might impact the big leagues as soon as this year but uh you know it's sort of interesting to see how many draft guys uh, hit this list right away you guys have both sort of hinted at uh we we wanted to talk about have each of you talk about the most intriguing top 10 guy and you both have sort of hinted at, uh, or at least mentioned, the guy that you're going to talk about. And uh, Jonathan, you were just talking about the four recent 2023 draftees. And uh, I think one of those is the guy that you find most intriguing on this list. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's one of those things where when you write up a guy, you, you kind of, sometimes you end up liking them even more. And Rhett Louder in some ways, I think it's a little bit of a short, he's underappreciated, you know, because everyone talks about his pitch ability and his, you know, his feel for pitching and throws a ton of strikes. And sometimes that's, I won't say a backhanded compliment, but often you talk about that when, with guys who don't have great stuff, 
you know, you know, or there's not as much margin for for error because uh, they don't throw that hard or they don't have, you know, a true out pitch. But the thing that makes Louder so interesting to me is that he's got he's got good stuff. You know, it's it's not Paul Skeen stuff, uh, but no one has Paul Skeen stuff. But I think that Louder's overall stuff, he doesn't throw 100, but he throws hard enough. You know, it's low 90s mostly, but he can reach back for more. He's got really good secondary stuff, uh, particularly a tremendous changeup. Uh, he's going to miss bats. So he's not just a high floor, low ceiling guy. There's, you know, there's some ceiling there in addition to having a really, really high floor because of that feel for pitching. So I ended up kind of liking him more and I'm more bullish about what he can be at the at the big leagues. And, uh, you know, given that advanced feel and the Reds need for pitching, like I think we're going to see him in Cincinnati at some point this year. All right. And no surprise who Jim wants to talk about here. If you've been listening yeah, to mean, the podcast I... at all over the past <laughs> year. No, and even before that, but no, I mean, Mizorowski, I think is the one guy who can kind of rival Paul Skeens for pure stuff. He doesn't have Skeens as polish, but at the futures game mode, we see him throw 102. I don't think, I think he threw maybe one fastball under a hundred and he struck out the side on, you know, a pair of power sliders and a power curveball. You know, I, I think the biggest question with him, you know, it's really easy to say, to look at him and say, okay, you know, last year, his first full season pro ball, he walked 42 guys in 71 innings. And, you know, is he going to be a reliever? You know, there is reliever risk with him, but I also think, you know, he really has not pitched a whole lot. I mean, going back to even the, the high school showcase circuit in 2019, when he had a hamstring injury and then the pandemic wiped out his 2020 high school season, they tore his meniscus in his first junior college start in 2021. He really has not pitched a lot in his career. So I think he's relatively young in, in, in terms of baseball for a guy who who's still 21 years old, he'll be 22 around opening day. And the, 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 the funny thing I keep imagining, I mean, we saw LSU win the national championship this year with Paul Skeens, but Jacob Mizorowski was part of the same transfer recruiting class as Paul Skeens. He was a junior college pitcher at Crowder junior college. He was supposed to be on that LSU staff. And I just think about what it would have been like for, for college hitters to face like Paul Skeens on a Friday. And you're like, Oh my God, like, that was ridiculous. So at least we're going to get a breather. And then you get Jacob Mizorowski on Saturday. And, you know, obviously Mizorowski not second guessing his decision and LSU made out just fine without him. But uh, I mean, I think those two guys have this, have the best stuff of anybody in the minor leagues right now. And they could have been college teammates last spring. Okay. Let's uh, talk about now a couple of sleeper picks, somebody who is not on the top 100, but could jump onto the list. Jonathan, who you got? Uh, you know, the guy who sort of interests me is Spencer Schwellenbach from the Braves, uh, just because there's there's some upside there. Uh, he was a two-way guy, uh, had won the John Olerud Award as the best two-way player, um, but then needed Tommy John surgery right after the Braves took him in the second round of 2021. So we didn't see him pitch until last year. And last year, uh, it was 65 innings. That first step back after Tommy John, you just kind of want them to get into routine, get some reps. But he threw really well. You know, a 249 earned run average, a 207 batting average against a low whip. You know, there's some good stuff there. 
Uh, chance to have a plus fastball and plus slider. He might have, you know, three above average pitches with good control. Good chance to start. He, he just needs to go out and pitch. And so, you know, it's an, another year removed from Tommy John surgery and also another year removed from double duty in college. Uh, so this is really the first fully healthy year where he's been focusing only on pitching. So that's why I kind of circled him as a guy who could really take off in 2024. And I'm going to go with another one of your guys, Jonathan. I mean, we divide up the teams and you have the A's. I, I, I'm intrigued by Luis Morales. He signed last year for $3 million on International Signing Day um, out of Cuba. I believe since, as Jesse was alluding to, they've kind of changed the rules and used to be you could get around the spending caps if you were willing to pay a penalty. And now it's a hard cap. I believe that $3 million is a record for a pitcher in the new era of you can't exceed what the limit is, even if you want to. And he, he's super intriguing. He, he pitched very well as a youngster in, in Cuba's Serie Nacional, which is their top league. You know, he's mid-90s fastball up to 99. The slider can be plus. The curveball's almost as good. He's working on a changeup. The, the control's okay. You know, last year they were kind of getting his feet wet. The A's were. They didn't want to put too much on his plate. He only pitched 44 innings, but he went from the DSL – to the Arizona Complex League, to single A, and then to high A. He struck out 53 guys in 44 innings, pitched very well. Opponents only hit 202 off of him. And I, I think he's a guy who can move very quickly. You know, the Cuban guys tend to be older. He wasn't 16 when he signed. He was 20 when he signed. He's 21 now. And I think he can move pretty quickly. And I'll, I'll be curious to see what he looks like when they turn him loose and let him pitch 100-plus innings this year. That is a look at our new top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list. We are going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about the guys on the other side of the mound. Well, I don't know that they're physically on it. Maybe, maybe set up a little a little on the other side of the mound. But the left-handers, uh, left-handed pitching prospects coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. We're going to talk top 10 left-handed pitching prospects in baseball. Jonathan, you're left-handed. Just gave a, a left-handed thumbs up. I, I was muted. Uh, you know what? Hand signals for a podcast is not great. Uh, I am indeed left-handed. Yeah, and if you were right-handed, there's no way you could have given a thumbs up with your left hand. So, No. Jim, Jim is also left-handed. This is true. What? What? How did I not know this? Uh, how many times you sat next to me in a press box where I've been writing? Not that many. Like keeping score, but at the format when you're talking about, you were sitting next to me when Jacob Mizorowski was robbed. Uh, yeah, but I you were typing on your janky laptop, which was duct, no, was duct taped I together. Was, I was right. I was writing by hand because the, the, was, there was no duct tape. It had ceased working in the middle of the game. Sending a story <laughs> in via owl. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Well, so you guys are you guys are well suited to talk about these. Left-handed pitcher sure. prospects. Uh, Nick, because Jonathan used to have like throw ninety-three and have the sweeper slider back when he, back in the day, so he's very well suited. <laughs> I enjoy this revisionist history. Uh, all right, so Jonathan is our resident speed reader, and he did the right-handers. But Jim, why don't you give the lefties a shot? Okay, I gotta pull the list up on my computer. Hold on a second. Are we ready? already We're off to a slow start? Too? 
I know. Well, here we go. They're Ready? Kyle up. Harrison, Giants, number one. Ricky Tiedemann, Blue Jays, number two. Robbie Snelling, Padres, number three. Noah Schultz, White Sox, number four. Anthony Solomato, Pirates, number five. Carson Wisnett, Giants, number six. Jackson Ferris, Dodgers, number seven. I did not say Cubs. You were waiting for me to trip up there. Thomas White, Marlins, number eight. Robert Gasser, Brewers, number nine. And Jordan Wicks, Cubs, number 10. Wow. With teams, ranks, and commentary. Trying to, trying no, to no show ETA. Come on. Trying to show up. 2025, 2024, 2025, 2026, 2024, <laughs> Uh, to you, Jonathan, is who? People are going to accuse me of being a homer. Never. Um, never. Uh, but I'm going with Anthony Solomato. I, I just like the combination of the stuff, the feel for pitching. There's upside. There's funk in his delivery. I kind of, he still has this sort of combination of uh, Madison Bumgarner-esque arm slot and a high leg kick. This reminds people of Mackenzie Gore. Uh, I give the Pirates credit for not trying to uh, to change him because uh, that's kind of how he was. Uh, it's kind of how he was when he was in high school, and they've let him stay with it. And he's made some adjustments. His command and control got much better last year. Uh, he made it to Double A for the first time. He topped 100 innings. There's a big up arrow uh, next to his name. His stuff plays up, especially against left-handed hitters. Because of the um, because of the deception as delivery, and uh, I think he's going to take another big step forward while at the uh, upper upper levels of the Pirates system, and, and should knock on uh, on the on the door to Pittsburgh at some point, maybe second half of the season, but at some point in 2024. All right, how about you, Jim? I guess I'm focusing on guys who haven't pitched a lot at a young age. I'm, I'm going to go with Noah Schultz, who I think has a, a ton of upside. White Sox first-round pick back in 2022, even though he barely pitched in high school that season. He had mono. I, I want to say I think he had a two-inning outing at the beginning of the season, came down with mono, and pitched two innings toward the end of the season. And then last year, they delayed his pro debut. They handled him with, with extreme care when he came down with a flexor strain in spring training. And then he had a shoulder impingement, so they backed off his last couple of starts. But when he pitched, he made 10 appearances in single A. He gave up a run in just one of those games. He struck out 38 and in 27 innings and ton of upside. He's six foot nine. So you obviously you think six foot nine lefty, and he's got a little arm slot. You know, so everybody makes a comparison physically to Randy Johnson. And he's not as overpowering as Randy Johnson, but he's much more polished at the same stage of their careers. Randy Johnson didn't throw strikes for a long time, even into his, his big league career, let alone when he was an amateur at USC at the same age. And, you know, Schultz throws strikes. He's got like his slider can just be, I don't know how any lefty ever hits his slider. Cause he's, he's so big. He's such a low arm slot. It's like he sweeps a ball from like first base across home plate in the low eighties. And he, and he has feel for the pitch too. He's not just getting chases. He can locate the slider his fastball sat around 94 miles an hour, touched 97 last season. They're, they're giving him a sinker to give it a different look as well to go with the four-seamer. He's got some feel for a changeup. So his his size, it, it's a rare combination. I cannot think of a guy this big who had this much, much pitchability at such a young age, plus he's left-handed. So 
I, I'm hoping he's healthy. I'm hoping we get to see him for 100, 120 innings this year. Uh, and I think he could be a guy who, when the White Sox are ready to contend again, I think Noah Schultz is probably the guy who's pitching at the front of their rotation with Dylan Cease, if he's still there. Okay, let's hit the sleeper picks for the lefties. And Jonathan, you're up. Yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting lefties here, but the, one of the guys uh, that stands out, and Jim had mentioned that we split the the teams up, uh, so I'm actually going to pick someone from one of uh, Sam Dykstra's teams, the the Diamondbacks. Yumin Lin is really interesting. He's uh, five foot eleven, but he's got really interesting secondary stuff. It, it's you know feel for pitching more than wow you, but he, he was in Double A. He uh, struck out 140 over 123rd innings uh, between uh, high A and double A. Uh, The secondary stuff is the big reason. Unbelievably good change up around 80 miles an hour. He's got a low 80s slider and a mid 70s curve. All of them could be at least above average pitches. He mixes them well. Uh, He's only 20. Uh, I think that uh, he's added some strength so he could really take off this, this, uh, this year. So I'm keeping an eye on him as we get started into the spring. Well, I will follow your lead, Jonathan, which is always what I try to do in all walks of life. And I'm also going to take a Sam Dykstra player, uh, Frank Mazzucato with the Royals. I believe that's one of Sam's teams that he oversees. It's not your team. Yes, yeah, that is correct. I'm going to take Frank Mazzucato, who was seventh overall pick in the 2021 draft, uh, the highest drafted Connecticut high school player since Bobby Valentine in 1968. So it had been a while. I don't know if you guys remember, he threw... Well, you probably do, Jonathan, because you wrote him up, but he threw four consecutive no-hitters that spring, won the best curveballs in the country, won the best curveballs in the minors, got off to a really good start last year in single A, had a 3.04 ERA, 85 strikeouts in 56 innings, did not pitch as well, falling promotion to high A, velocity dipped a little bit over the course of the summer, but if he can can add some strength, he's got a very lean six foot three frame and maintain his stuff over the course of a long season. That would probably the added strength would probably give him more, uh, more you know, help him repeat his delivery better and throw more strikes. I just think that curveball is such a weapon, and if he can get the fastball in, into the you know ninety two ninety four range more consistently, like he did at the beginning of the season, he could really make a leap in twenty twenty four. All right, uh, our mailbag question just happens to fit neatly into this category of top 10 pitching prospects. This one comes from Nolan Jones enthusiasts. Must have been very enthused last year. Prospect guy 16 handle on Twitter says with the release of the right-handed pitching rankings, can you talk about some guys that just missed the top 10 and why they may have fallen slash not risen enough to get into the top 10. Well, let me, let me start by posing a, uh, a quick question. There were two, two players who are on the top 10 list, you know, the, the our mid season re-ranking who did not make this right-handed pitcher list. Do you know who they are? Is that a question for us, or is that are you yeah, asking who, who that are you asking? to you know? Just asking the listeners and they'll. Oh, he's asking. Mix. He's asking prospect guy sixteen. They're having a conversation. I'm waiting for his response. Right. No, I'm. I'm asking the two of you because I think that's part of the part of answering the the question. I love you know answering a question with a question. Um, but uh, there are two guys who drop quote unquote dropped off the list. 
but are you know still in top 100, but aren't in the top 10? I think I know who they are. Okay. Do you want me to answer? Do we want to let? Yes, I want you to answer. Is it Tink Hens and AJ Smith Shaver? That is exactly correct. And you know, I think I think those are interesting examples of guys who like they didn't do anything wrong necessarily. I mean, AJ Smith Shaver is like incredibly hard to figure out who he is because he raced up to the big leagues in a hurry. Really good stuff. Questions about command. Tink Hens, unbelievable stuff, uh, but hasn't been stretched out, doesn't seem to pitch, you know, deep ever into games. So we're not exactly sure what he is, what he is. So I think that's why those two fell a little bit or other guys jumped up ahead of them. So that's my partial answer to that question, Jim. So, so if that's your partial answer, do you have a full answer or are you done? Well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm sort of letting you're catching you, your breath now. Is that what you're saying? I, I'm, 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 I'm uh, now lobbing the ball up to you. So I got you. you can slam at home. I got you. Thank you. Yeah, I have a very good vertical. I, I slam all the time. Um, yes. I, I'm going to go with Chase Hampton. It's interesting, Jonathan, because both when we did our midseason update last August of the top 100, and again uh, this winter, I guess I was trying to think of the time period, this winter when we have the, the, the soon-to-be-released new top 100 for 2024, we got some feedback that we were light on Chase Hampton. Chase Hampton is on the top 100 prospects, the current one. He'll be on the one going forward. And we keep getting feedback that we're too low on him. So I'm wondering if he's a guy who's going to jump into the top 10 by midseason. And, you know, I, I constantly cite I, – I, you guys could just have a soundboard for – Harold Reynolds' soundboard. You should have a Jim Callis soundboard, and I can just, you know, complain about Mizorowski getting robbed, and I can talk about – the Dodgers doing a great development job. And then I can talk about the Yankees doing a wonderful job with mid round draft picks. Um, so I, you could just use that here for chase Hampton, but you know, chase Hampton was a six round pick in, in 2022 out of Texas tech. He actually had salmonella poisoning that kind of derailed him in the middle of the college season and, and then bounced back pitched very well at the end up to 99 in the regionals against Notre Dame and wound up going in the sixth round. And he was spectacular last year. I mean, he, he pitched, it only took him nine starts in high A to get a promotion to double A in his pro debut. Pitched very well between two stops, 145 strikeouts, 106 and two-third innings. He's got a, a fastball that's 91 to 95 and plays up with carry and spin and arm side run. He can really spin a curveball and a slider, both of which are weapons. Change ups the pitch, it's kind of in progress for him. Throws strikes, has a lot of starter traits. Um, you know, I think it's interesting you know, we don't know exactly how the Juan Soto trade went down, but the Padres acquired four pitchers from the Yankees in the Juan Soto trade. The Padres did, but they didn't get Chase Hampton. And I don't know if they asked for him. And the Yankees, you know, were like, no, we'd rather have you take these other guys. How that went down, but I, I do think Chase Hampton is a right-handed pitching prospect on the rise. All right, thanks to Nolan Jones, enthusiast, for that question, prospect guy sixteen. Uh, I actually want to wrap this podcast up by uh, throwing in a little pipeline podcast pop quiz. Ooh, It's been a while. Jim, Jonathan, we talked about the four 2023 draftees on the top 10 right-handed pitching prospects list. Do you feel like that's a, a higher low? This is not the quiz, but do you feel <laughs> like that's a higher low number uh, uh, of, of, draftees from the previous year to be on the top 10 right next list. I feel like it's high, but you're going to tell us it's not now. 
So I will say, I feel like it's high. And that's a correct answer because those are my feelings. So <laughs> yeah. I, I answered the question correctly. <laughs> Very nice. I, I, uh, I, I share Jim's feelings. It, it is a high, it's a high number. So high, in fact. How many years for us to collectively have four uh, pitchers from the previous draft in in a class? It, I don't think I had clearly. I'll, I'm not. It's not a quiz anymore. I'm just going to tell. It's not a quiz anymore. I'm just going to tell you that you have to go back over the past six year six seasons that we've put out top ten right-handed pitching prospects list. There have only been like four pitchers from the previous year's draft class and all of those top 10 Casey Mize. Casey Mize was one in 2019. Very good. Wow. There was one in the previous previous year. The so that would be seven drafts, top right? right well, no, no, you're right. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, Hunter Green. The top, yep, Hunter Green. And then there were two in 2021. These might be tough. Max Meyer and Emerson Hancock. But I, you might have to picks. you might have to go all the way to 2012 when Trevor Bauer, Dylan Bundy, Eric Cole, and Archie Bradley were all in the top ten. I didn't make it that far back, but I think it goes to show that this is all uh, top seven picks, quite unusual. All that, top seven picks. Yep, yep. Similar to uh, similar, quite similar to this year. All right, that's the that's the not quite pipeline podcast pop quiz and that is it for this edition of the mlb pipeline podcast want to thank again jesse sanchez for joining us on the show great to have him uh, with us this week and thanks to everybody for listening don't forget to subscribe on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions leave us a rating and a review thanks for listening everybody see you next week